I don't know if you happen to look in the bulletin for this evening's message and saw that it was the same sermon title and same text as this morning. I don't know if that threw you for a loop the way it threw the office staff for a loop this week. You know, I, uh, so I apologize for, for that confusion. Uh, if, if you were led to believe that I'm re-preaching Matt's sermon from this morning. I was always told in seminary that two guys could preach the same text and, while not changing the meaning, say largely the same thing. But uh, that's not my intent tonight. Or is it to correct anything from this morning either? I remember one wise sage of an Old Testament professor from seminary. Looks kind of like the same guy that comes to break time every day at 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. I remember him saying to us, he encouraged us to take some time and to think about instead of preparing another sermon, if you're, if you're in a church that does multiple services in a day as we do, he encouraged us would-be pastors to think, instead of preparing another sermon with another three to five, or if you're ambitious, ten things that you need to do again tonight, on top of the three to five things that you were challenged to do this morning, instead, maybe take some time in an evening service and apply and work through some specific application to the morning sermon. And I took that to heart, and in the church that I pastored before coming to Fourth, we did this regularly on a Sunday night. Uh, there was just a small group of us, so it looked a little different than it looks here tonight. We would put up a square of tables, and we would sit around in small group fashion and discuss the morning sermon. And uh, that is my desire to do that here with you tonight. Don't worry, you won't have to discuss. I'll do all the discussing, you do all the thinking, and we'll let the Holy Spirit do all the convicting. So, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, as Matt titled his sermon this morning, the best for our church. My sermon title for tonight is this, the best for our church, the next steps. What are the next steps based on the text of Scripture that we were in this morning. And uh, I would say, in large part, the premise behind doing something such as this in, in an evening setting and reviewing some of the sermon is, is found in Scripture, such as Romans eight twenty nine. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Or in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Or the other text we are quite familiar with in 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, mature, equipped for every good work. 
these scripture texts give us the purpose for laboring hard at growing in Christ, for laboring hard at what these texts point to, our progressive sanctification, to working hard at growing and changing to be like Jesus, relationally, being brought into relationship with Christ changes us in sanctification positionally, but these texts point to a continued moral holiness, both the inner man and the outer man being changed to be like Jesus. That's not shocking truth or news to probably the Sunday night crowd here tonight. That is what God calls us to do. And that's what we desire to do uh, this evening. One author said, It is important to realize that the Bible not only tells a true story, but it also demands a response. And so what we do tonight is, is extremely important as we take Colossians 2, 1 through 7, and we say, okay, what are my practical, real-world, rubber-meets-the-road responses that could come out of the truth that we heard this morning, the truth about what God desires for our church to be? Because the authors of Scripture, they write with an intention, and their words are meant to provoke a response from you and I. And that response oftentimes needs to be more than praise God for this truth. God desires we leave this building with our notes and blanks all filled in and go and do. And so we're going to spend some time talking about ways that we can put this text into practice. Not just add more information to the wonderful wealth of Bible knowledge that we have. One of my friends, a biblical counseling professor here at Central Seminary, said this about gaining more information. More information and less application often makes people arrogant sinners who know the Bible. Think about that for a moment. We are blessed with lots of information. But that information is meant for transformation. Dr. Ellen also said, I am against people getting more knowledge than the application of that knowledge. And so this evening, I want you to think about, I want you to think about this. What do you struggle with more? Knowing or doing? Sometimes it's knowing. For probably this crowd this evening, it's not as much knowing as it is like for myself the doing. And all Scripture is practical theology because all Scripture is meant to lead us to be more holy, more set apart, more like Christ. And God reveals Himself and meets you where you are at in Scripture. You've heard statements like that before. God meets you where you are at. And according to the truth of progressive sanctification, God has no intention of leaving you where you are are at. We are thankful he meets us there, but he has no intention of leaving us there. So, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, why don't you go ahead and turn back there again this evening. We were challenged this morning from verses 1 and 2, and Pastor Matt brought out 
very quickly and very briefly in in verses 1 and 2, the text says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those that have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Let me ask you, do you love people like this? I want you to know, Paul says, how great a struggle, how great a concern, how much I strain, how much I strive, how much I exert myself to this end for people. The picture is of an athlete straining, striving, training, exerting himself to the point of exhaustion, trying to win. And Paul uses that motif to say, this is how I love people. And Pastor Matt began this morning by talking about how we love those that are closest to us, like your family. How we love those that also share the same interests as us. But let me ask you, do you love people that are different than you? Do you love people that are different than you? Or, or are, they, are they just annoying, dysfunctional, weird? Well, that's just weird. According to who? If you were to spend time in my house for a few hours, you would know weird. You would see dysfunctional. You would see annoying. When you look at people that are different than you, you look at Paul's agony, how he agonized to love, how how much he went after loving people. Think about those in this congregation that are different than you. If different people irritate you, could that point to a judgmental spirit on your part, in your heart, towards others? Think about looking at another family and thinking, man, they're dysfunctional. Who's establishing the pattern of functionality? Who's at the top of the functional food chain? Are they just different? They just choose to do life different? Paul says, love people. Love people that are the same. That's not always that hard. Well, what about loving people that are that are different. The struggle that Paul has for them refers to their maturity. The desire that he has, the reason he exerts himself to this end is for their maturity. Back in verse 28 of chapter 1, he says, Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone. And you remember the warnings that Pastor Matt walked us through. And teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone Mature in Christ. This was what he spent himself doing. Do you love people like this? Are you striving and exerting yourself for the maturity of other believers, mothers? Sorry, fathers? Are you striving for the maturity of your sons? 
Are you agonizing? Are you exerting yourself? I sadly see a a lack of biblical manhood in many young men today. I don't see a lack of entertainment, video games, other avenues. Fathers, do you go hard after this in your sons? Do you have have regular talks about wisdom and about foolishness, about purity, about godliness, about work ethic? I encourage you. Find a hobby. Find something fun you enjoy enjoy doing with your boys. Do it. And talk about this along the way. How about you, mothers? Are, Are you exerting yourself to this end? Are you agonizing over the maturity of your daughters? No matter how young, no matter how old, maybe. Are you preparing them for headship and submission? Are you preparing them for a right view of marriage? Are you talking to them about modesty? Are we talking to them about entertainment and the voices of the world? How about parents together? Can I include grandparents as well with that? What about checking in on your kids' devotions? Have you talked with them recently about that? Have you helped them? How can you? How can you keep them accountable? How about talking to them about the the many forms of entertainment, the dangers of pornography, or about their heart, encouraging them to walk towards Christ and in maturity in Christ. The, The Deuteronomy 6 principle of living. How are you fleshing that out in your own home? How are you as grandparents doing this for your grandkids? How about church member to church member? How are we agonizing, striving, exerting ourselves for the maturity of other people in this church? There are many of you in the crowd tonight, a lot of you that are doing this. And that makes me really excited and encouraged because you realize church is not just do your own thing. Come to church, listen, fellowship a little, go home doesn't seem to be what being in a body in an assembly was to Paul. He was was agonizing and exerting himself over that. Is, Is just coming to church, doing your own thing, listening, going home, is that loving people like the scriptures teach us to do? Like Paul models for us? So that's the challenge. Do you do you love people like this? To exert yourself and strive and strain for their maturity. What could that look like? You say, well, that was, that was specific. We're going to keep going. We're going to get even more specific. What does that kind of effort look like? Could look like coffees and lunches that are, that are intentionally, deliberately driven to have conversation about their spiritual life, sharing about your spiritual life and your struggles as the snow melts and it gets warmer, if it melts much more, my boat's going to be floating in the backyard. It makes me excited to go out and do some fishing. 
What about fishing? What about going out fishing with another guy intentionally not to catch fish, but to talk, to see how they're doing? How consistent are you being in the Word? How are you doing at leading your family? How can I pray for you? That's what, that's what this is all about. That's what Paul is, is talking, this, this, this whole love for people, finding ways to do that. Play dates with, with other moms, as I, as I know regularly happens around here. Intentionally to ask, how are things in your marriage going? How are you doing at being submissive to your husband? Where do you find it hard? How can I pray for you? Where are your struggles? Here's where my struggles are. What do you worry about? What are you fearful of? What about taking another couple out to invest in them? Tell you what, you want to do that and you have kids and they have kids, give me a call. Sarah and I will babysit for you. We haven't done a whole lot of babysitting in a while. We'd love to do that to provide an opportunity for you to go out with another couple and invest in them, disciple them, encourage them. Share with them your struggles. Deepen that relationship. Exert yourself. Strive after their maturity. This is the tightest two principle of the older teaching the younger. Doing and talking about life together. And accomplishing this. Practically accomplishing this desire for others demands a few things. It demands relationships. Which is what church is all about. But it demands getting below the surface in those relationships. Using the platforms and the programs and the ministries that we have here to get below the surface in relationships. It's going to take some time, isn't it? How often do we not invest people in, in other people? Because I just don't have the time. I just don't have the time. And I'm not saying not everyone all the time. But what about investing in one person at a time? In one couple at a time? It's also going to take some follow-up. Besides having a relationship that is, that is under the surface, it's going to take openness, it's going to take vulnerability. It's going to take you modeling some of that. Hey, pray for me. I struggle with this. But it's also going to take some follow-up. How are you doing? I've been praying for you. How are things going well? Where are you struggling? This, I think, is practical ways to take what Pastor Matt pointed out in Paul's own heart. He was agonizing and striving for what? Chapter 1, he said, for your maturity. That is what is best for our church. There's a lot of good things that we do regularly, cyclically, in the calendar system. But this, people is what is best for this church. People. It's one thing we, we, try to, uh, we try to say around our house often, to remind each other, people are always more important. Think about the ways that you could practically apply that to your life. People are always more important. What is the motive for this? The motive is the Great Commission. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, it's, it's loving like Christ loved, forgiving like Christ forgave in Ephesians 4. It's 1 John 3, loving one another. It's, it's taking the comfort, Paul says, that you have received. The ways that you have been comforted to grow 
the hope that you have in the Scriptures, taking the comfort that you have received and investing in someone else, sharing that comfort with them. This is obedience. This is evidence of our love for God, love for others. This, like Paul agonized over people and the scriptures filled with one another's, this is what it means to be the church. Pastor Matt asked us the question this morning, how can you renew your inner man and strengthen our hearts? How can you rally our hearts, he talked about, and strengthen our hearts? How can you renew your inner man, strengthen your heart when, when your emotions might be getting the best of you? Your fear, your anxiety, your worry, your anger. How do you renew your inner man? Let's talk about that for a second as Pastor Matt brought that out and he talked about the, the instrument that God uses in the Holy Spirit and the way that he uses a human instrument of one another. Well, let me show you from Philippians 4. Will you flip over there for a second? Philippians 4, verses 4 through 9. I think it gives us a real quick, concise way of renewing our inner man. To strengthen our hearts. To change fits this framework here as well. When you are feeling emotions, whatever that emotion is for you, when you're feeling as if your emotions are getting the best of you, how can you renew your mind? How can you renew your inner man? I think uh, Paul says here in Philippians 4, beginning in verse 4, First of all, have a right response and an awareness of God. He says here, the Lord, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. You begin to think about renewing your mind. Remind yourself of the presence of and the sovereignty of God in your life. The Lord is at hand. He has been present to walk you through the valleys and to rejoice in on the mountaintops, to change you. The Lord has been at hand. Have, have a right response and an awareness as you seek to renew your mind, that comes through having an awareness of the presence of God to do this. And then we're, we're challenging verse 6 and 7 with a familiar verse. How about right praying? A right response to the presence of God, but then right praying. Pray rightly to renew your mind. Do not be anxious about anything. Doesn't leave a whole lot of wiggle room there, does it? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God's peace will guard your heart from your heart when you pray rightly. So as you face emotions and you, you try to strengthen your own inner man through, 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 the, through the help of the Spirit, and I'm not saying we do this all on our own, 
Uh, that, that's not what our, our Bible teaches. But a right response to, to God being at hand, right praying, right dwelling then, verse 8, keep thinking rightly. Keep striving to think rightly. As you pray rightly, God's peace will guard you from your heart, will guard your heart from your heart. And then right dwelling, keep thinking biblically about the thing that you're struggling with. Preach the truth to yourself. And then verse 9, where said is a, a right practice. Put on right thinking. Put on right thinking into action. Love, like we're challenged in 1 Corinthians 13. The, putting on the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. So as, as Pastor Matt asks us the question, how do you renew your mind, your inner man, renew your heart, strengthen your heart? I think Philippians, Paul gives us a great, a great picture as to how that's accomplished. How can you love, strengthen, and renew the heart of another believer who is struggling? This is where Pastor Matt brought out the text that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love. Here's what he said this morning. I declare to you that Fourth Baptist Church will be as strong as our love for one another. To the degree that we abandon the imperatives of these verses, we will unravel and we will come apart like a fraying rope. You see, we aren't a chain. This isn't about the weakest link. We are a rope bound by our love for one another as evident in our conversation with one another and about one another. In our humility and our deference toward one another and our giving and our sacrifice for one another. So how can you love? How can you strengthen? How can you renew the heart, encourage the heart of another believer? Well, it's just like we work through Philippians for our own hearts. That wasn't written primarily to be kept, to be hidden away. Say, praise God, thank you for these truths for me. Praise God, thank you for the comfort that I've received. Paul challenged us to go comfort others. Talk with them about their struggles. Lead them through Philippians, like we just did, to renew our own hearts. So now you're armed also, not only with Colossians 2, but now with Philippians 4, and a simple framework for renewing your mind and assisting your brother or sister in Christ for renewing their mind. Pray with them. Call them. Text them. Send them a card. Encourage them. Bless them. Get that couple a gift card. Offer to babysit their kids so they can go out together. Go to one of their kids' activities or events or concerts with them. Bring them meals when they're sick or clean for them. Bring them some honey and Mackey's ice cream just for no reason. Show up at their moving party. If you don't know where honey and Mackey's ice cream is, you should look it up. It's well worth it. I remember my first Sunday here at Fourth Baptist Church. 2013. We were sitting about the same spot. That's how Baptist we are. And that afternoon, Sarah said to me, 
hey, Jared, do you uh, mind if I go play volleyball Sunday night after church? I said, yeah, sure, go ahead. And Morgan called me and said, uh, Dad, I think Mom just ruptured her Achilles tendon. I said, oh, well, that's interesting. No. I said, are you kidding me? And sure enough, she had ruptured her Achilles playing volleyball. And that night, we had a friend stay on our couch with the kids so that we could go to the ER in the days and weeks and months that followed. This church loved us. Many of our relationships with so many of you that we didn't know, having come from a from a, a, a previous ministry, many relationships we didn't know began in those days and weeks and months after that injury. And it was amazing. We came in and thought we'd be here for a little while, kind of come into the, the big machine that is the big church and, you know, the well-oiled machine that's just got everything running and everybody's got their spot and we'd be here for a little while. And then we'd move on to what God had as the next step for us. And you loved us. Even though many of you didn't even know how different and weird and annoying that we can be. You loved us. And you brought us meals, as I know you've done for many other people in this congregation. You cleaned our house and you did our laundry. I know I'm going on and on. Because this church loved us in that way. We felt it. And in something I'm still not sure I can explain, God said, Jeremy, I want you to stay here. And we get to keep doing life together. Keep loving each other together. It was amazing. Sarah and I still talk about the love that this church showed us. And I know that's not the only story that could be told from this congregation. So I, I say thank you. Even this many years later, I say thank you for the reports that I hear that you don't even know I got the report that says so-and-so did this for us. So-and-so brought us a meal. Boy, that sure was a blessing. You know how long it took to unload our, our, moving, our moving truck? Not long at all because of all the people that showed up. That's how we strengthen the hearts of each other. Those are, those are active, practical ways. But I challenge you, don't just do what you can do with your hands. Do what you can do with the knowledge of the scriptures that you have to strengthen hearts. Read scripture with those that are struggling. Pray with them. Listen to them. Just, just listen to them. Cry with them. Because some of it's pretty weighty stuff. And sometimes it feels like you're all alone. Strengthen the hearts of fellow strugglers by crying with them. Hug them. Share your own times of struggle, failure, victory, the lessons that, that you have learned. This is, this is also why we need to be open and honest with each other when they ask, so how'd your week go? That's why we're here. Those are the moments for why this church exists. Don't be a Christian on an island all by yourself. Build a bridge. Build lots of bridges into the lives of, of other people in this, in this assembly. 
An active love for others is, is evidence of, of right theology, right Christology, as we, as we learned this morning. It's an, it's an understanding of, of the right theology of the deity and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, as Pastor Matt brought out this morning. And, and, and that right theology protects us, as we see in verses 4. It protects us from false teachings, from the deceptions of the world around us. And in verse 4, and, and, and the text we'll get to next week, that Pastor Matt will preach next week, we'll start in verse 8. So with an eye to verse 8, but with the time we spent in verse 4 this morning, Paul indicates he's deeply concerned that the, of the false teaching that just might undermine the confidence of the Colossians. That just might undermine what they believe about Christ as their complete Savior. Paul said to the Ephesian elders in the book of Acts, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from, your, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. So as we move forward in the practical application of Colossians 2, that's, that's my next challenge to you. Be alert. Satan is still seeking to devour you. Satan is still seeking to devour your marriage and your teenagers and your young people and your children and your family. Satan is still seeking to devour this church. How could that happen? when we stop being alert individually in our own lives and in our own relationships, it chips away at what this assembly has. So the challenge here practically is to be aware of the philosophies of our day that don't match up with, with the Bible's teaching concerning Christ. What could Satan be using to take you captive or to persuade you away from loving God and loving others? That's what I want to challenge you to think about. What could Satan be using to take you captive? Entertainment? TV? Books? Movies? Music? How about, how about comfort and peace? The worship of comfort and peace that, that can lead to apathy and laziness from responsibility. A good healthy dose of me time can be a tool that Satan can use to persuade us away. How about the many twisted forms of pride? Belief of all the things we hear of loving yourself, self-love, self-esteem. What about pride that, that manifests itself in a, in a manipulation to get what you want? What about your identity? What could Satan be seeking or tempting you to root your identity in that isn't Christ? Your job, being a mom, homeschooling, Christian schooling, your hobbies, on and on the list could go. Satan desires that we put our efforts into other identities. What about people? We just talked about loving people and striving for the maturity of other people, but could Satan be using people to persuade you away? 
And specifically, I mean the, the fear of people. Fearing what people think more than what God thinks. How about the, the dangers of psychology? The dangers of psychology that, that mostly lead away from the truth of Scriptures. Scripture's not sufficient. We, we, need, we need that for salvation, but, but we need psychology for this. No, the Scriptures are sufficient to deal with all things that you face in life. Adopting a world of, of disorders and chemical imbalances in search of medicine to fix sin and heart problems. Satan is using that in the, in the assemblies of the church today to persuade away from loving and knowing God. How about subtle, unbiblical views of marriage and headship and submission? Taking charge being a dictator, overstepping your role of being a helper, letting her do that, being lazy. What is it that Satan has always been trying to do from the beginning? A deception with the intent to lead us away from God. To get us to consider what our heart wants, which is independence. Independence from authority. Push away from authority. That's what he has been about. And he's still active in that, in your heart and in my heart. So what could Satan be using to lead you away? What human traditions can creep into life, into our lives, and in our churches that could lead us away? What, what traditions do you hold? What traditions do you hold to for sanctification that the Bible doesn't command? What traditions do we hold over others that the Bible doesn't command? This is an area I think we, we need to be very careful. We don't make the traditions the test of faith. The test of faith is, is always right thinking. It is always right thinking about Christ and, and right practice based on Christ. And then we come to verse 6. If you, if you haven't Flipped back to Colossians, we come to verse 6, and we have yet another place in the Scriptures where we are called to work hard at conforming to Jesus Christ. Work hard at conforming to Jesus Christ. We're, we're challenged here again. Therefore, as you received Christ as Lord... Walk in Him. Walk in Him. And being rooted and built up, as, as Pastor Matt talked about the trees, being rooted and strong. Where might you be walking by sight instead of walking by faith? And then in verse 7, and we're almost done. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. It is exciting as one of your pastors to look out tonight and see so many who are strong in their faith. And I want you to be encouraged by your perseverance, by your laboring and love for one another, by your laboring and striving to be holy and righteous. I want you to be encouraged in your perseverance. Be encouraged, but don't be complacent. Keep striving, keep seeking to walk in Him and to love others. 
Many of you have come to me and your other pastors asking for help to be more firm in your faith. And I commend you for doing that, for coming in humility. You have found grace. As the scriptures say, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And many of you have come and you've talked with each other about your struggles and you've asked for help and you've seen victory and growth in your life. And it is exciting and encouraging to us as shepherds of your soul to see you working so hard at that. Again, beware though. Your heart is deceptive. Your heart is more deceptive than you know. Satan still, devi- still desires to devour you and destroy you. Stay the course. Stay growing the roots of your faith down deep. Staying the course seems to have something to do with being thankful. It's right there at the end of verse 7. Stay rooted, built up, established in your faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Are you a thankful person? Are you a content and thankful person? How often we start looking around for something more satisfying, something more fulfilling, the next big thing, when what we really need is to be eternally grateful for what we have. Are you a thankful person? I was challenged by this this week. I had that exciting experience of knowing that I was going to have some Amazon packages delivered. And you know, they, get, they tell you that it's shipped. And, and they have this little link you can click on to follow it. And at some point in the process, I thought, I'm pretty excited about what's in these packages. That wasn't even that big of a deal. But I found the excitement of the next thing that was coming. What did we do before prime delivery next day? I don't even know. I don't even like to think about that. I was challenged with how excited I was over something so small and trivial and menial. And it reminded me of my heart's desire for the next thing to bring satisfaction. The next thing that I I think might fulfill the next big thing. What comes to your mind when you think about abounding in thanksgiving? What comes to your mind when you when you think about your vehicle or your house or the size of your TV or your kids or your job, what comes to your mind when you think about your spouse? Does Thanksgiving come to mind? A strong and established faith, I think Paul points us to, is a heart of thanksgiving. Are you thankful? What we did here is, is a very challenging and important spiritual discipline to practice and to master. And and I encourage you to to do this on your own with your own devotions. Maybe maybe take a smaller portion of scripture reading and and add this type of application to to your time in the Word. Do this with the Sunday, Sunday sermons. Sit around your dining room table. Sit around the restaurant table. Lead your family in how you can specifically apply that sermon you just heard minutes ago to the life and times and the inner workings of your family. Make it specific to your family. How can you do that? What what does that look like? I think very simply, 
ask yourself just a couple simple questions as you read the scripture. What did I learn about God and his character through this text? What areas in my life do these truths impact? In what ways will I obey what I have learned today? And then here's my challenge. Pick one of these applications towards someone in your life, towards someone in this auditorium tonight, towards someone in this church. Pick one of these applications and try to do this. Try to strive and agonize over that person's maturity in Christ in the next two weeks to come. It has been said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And that, I think, is evident by a strong spiritual work ethic at growing and changing to be like Jesus, both in our inner man and our outer man. It has to be more than just adding information every Sunday, every ABF lesson, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, every equipped class, every home Bible fellowship. It has to be more than just adding information. This is what Paul calls us to. It's what I challenge you with tonight. If, if you need help with this in your own life, give me a call. If you need help with this for a short time, give me a call. If you need help with this for a long time, give me a call. Or talk to one of your pastors. Talk to one of your friends. But be intentional about your conformity to Jesus Christ. Let's pray and then we'll close with a song. God in heaven, thank you for the many scriptures we've looked at. Specifically, our, our anchor text of Colossians 2 and Philippians 4. Thank you for the practical application of this to our lives. Lord, I, I just did this in a few ways, but will you use your Holy Spirit to do this in many more ways in each one of our lives so that we will grow up into maturity. Do this work in us so that we will bring others along with us we will invest in them, renew our love and our agony and our striving for the maturity of others. Lord, do a great work in this church. Grow this church, Lord, not just numerically. We don't want numeric growth only. God, grow this church through gospel growth, the conviction by your Spirit and the power that God the Spirit brings to change us to be more like our Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.